0: It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis.
1: And I'm Sky David. This is our 100th time sitting down to record the podcast together. Hard to believe. It is hard to believe, but it's also hard to believe that we've been doing it for two years.
0: Yeah. We're going to talk about this 100th episode and the podcast after... The interview and kind of some funny stuff, especially those first few episodes. Boy, I don't know
1: man. why you keep referring to them. Like, stop. If we don't talk about them, they don't exist.
0: <laughs> All right. We got a lot of news to unpack.
1: We'll start with this weekend. The Democratic Party met to elect their chair and slate of officers. And as it got closer to that election, you saw on media, Twitter, that there did seem to be a little tension in that, and it turned out that a 25-year-old beat Bobby Richardson.
0: Bobby Richardson, she's a former legislator, and she had the power brokers of the Democratic Party, Mm -hmm. Governor Roy Cooper, Attorney General Josh Stein, Senator Paul Lowe, Senator Dan Blue, Congressman Don Davis, all of them were lined up behind Bobby Richardson. Anderson Clayton from Person County, she's the chair there. She, she had Senator Mike Woodard and former Senator Kirk DeViere endorsing her, and she won on the second ballot along with her slate. This was a huge upset for the establishment of the Democratic Party.
1: Turning to the General Assembly, there's a ton of news there.
0: The Pistol Purchase Permit Repeal Bill moved in the House and in the Senate. Uh, These are bills that were vetoed by Governor Cooper in past sessions, uh, but as we have talked about a lot on the podcast, the General Assembly has working supermajorities for the Republican Party, so there is an expectation that these bills have a good shot at becoming law.
1: So on the House side, they ran the pistol purchase permit repeal and the Protect Religious Meeting Places Bill, which is a bill to allow security at churches to carry on Sundays. If that church is used for education or a classroom during the week, you wouldn't be allowed to carry then. And that, that, like you said, has been vetoed a few times. On the Senate side, they took those two bills, merged them together, and also put a Firearms Safe Storage Initiative into that bill. So it's a package of bills that all came together to make one I guess, ginormous gun bill.
0: Have either of those bills reached their respective chamber floors?
1: The Senate bill did. And we're recording on Thursday late afternoon, and that was approved by the Senate on a party line vote this afternoon.
0: Okay. And the House has not yet had their repeal of the pistol permit system. That's right. Okay. Had a big bill this week. We had been anticipating it. Medicaid expansion hit the floor this week and passed the House in two separate votes Wednesday and Thursday.
1: What was interesting about the Medicaid expansion debate on the House side is that, you know, we all know the House it likes to talk, everyone wants to say their piece. But what I found interesting is that there wasn't a lot of discussion on Medicaid expansion in the House.
0: A couple amendments were offered up. Republicans put in a work requirement or at least a provision that allows the secretary to negotiate As much of a work requirement as he can get from the Department of Health and Human Services in Washington, D.C. The bill still got about a couple dozen Republicans to vote no. There's still some legislators in the General Assembly that just are philosophically opposed to Medicaid expansion. But it all indications are the House is ready to roll. They've sent the bill over to the Senate. Now, the Senate's always had a pretty hard line. Yes, we want Medicaid expansion, but we want a couple other things in there as well.
1: Specifically, Senate Leader Phil Berger said last week that the House bill was not the bill we needed for North Carolina.
0: He wants Certificate of Need reform, and he would also like to allow nurse practitioners to practice at the top of their license without a doctor's supervision. Now, it seems like the Senate is willing to get rid of that, the nurse provision, but they seem to be really dug in on the certificate of need. Now, in the meantime, Sky, we have this deadline approaching, which means dollars for North Carolina.
1: So we would expect to see some sort of deal done by March. Yeah, we'll see.
0: Clock ticking.
1: So we've got guns. We've got Medicaid expansion. We also have medical marijuana on the move again.
0: (laughs) Got a hearing in the Senate Judiciary Committee this week. Now, that was not a voting hearing. A lot of times the Senate Judiciary does this. If it's a bill that's controversial... The first stop in judiciary is a hearing only. Let's hear some debate. Let's hear some testimony from the audience. We got both. And then they follow up the following week with a vote expectations are that this bill is going to move in the Senate this year. Senator Raven, you and I talked to him. He seems to be optimistic about that. And then we heard some news this week from Speaker Tim Moore. He was a guest on Tim Boyum's podcast.
1: He felt that over half of his caucus was in support of this bill this year.
0: Another bill I think we'll be talking about in future podcasts. All this news, guy. I think I could use a drink.
1: A bill that was filed this week would allow happy hours in North Carolina, which is maybe something that folks didn't even know our band. So,
0: you know, this is your afternoon sale, if you will, at a bar or restaurant where drinks are offered at a reduced price. These are kind of a time in a bar's day in which they don't have many customers hoping to attract customers, but this is attracting a lot of dissenters who don't believe that we should be promoting alcohol during the workday.
1: I will note that if you want to go to Sonic, their happy hour still exists. <laughs> I love a slushie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Representative Jason Zane from Lincoln County, he offered this bill, and I think he's been getting a lot of love on social media.
1: Back to controversial bills, the House Rules Package passed this week, and if you recall from a few podcasts ago, there was some debate on the first day of session about the temporary rules. Well, Rules Chairman Destin Hall said on the floor and in committee that he negotiated portions of the bill with Democrats and specifically with Leader Reeves and tried to come to some compromises. And then there were some things that he said, those are policy disagreements. And ultimately, that rules package passed the House with some Democratic support.
0: Representative Cecil Brockman Tricia Cotham, Michael Ray, Shelley Willingham, and Garland Pierce, five Democrats, voted for the rules package despite the objections of their caucus, the Democratic caucus, despite the fact that all of the amendments offered by Democrats were voted down by the House. The big rub is about these rules is that basically... If the governor sends over a veto, let's say, today, the House could put it immediately on the floor. So that's one way. The other is if it is listed on the calendar, then it's fair game for a veto override. You know, I don't really think it's changed a lot from the practice. You pointed this out in some past podcasts, but it certainly seems to have Democrats... Really up in arms. I think this is more about just the margins are so close now.
1: Additionally, we got our projected revenue forecast in this week on Wednesday, I believe. And good news.
0: Three and a quarter billion dollars in surplus uh, will be available for budget riders this budget season. We know, by the way, that there are a lot of needs out there. Inflation being one of those needs, we know that the General Assembly wants to do some sort of tax cut package. Uh, We also know that, and this goes to inflation, we have a lot of teachers, state employees, uh, support personnel in our public schools. Uh, We have a lot of vacancies in state government. It is getting to be dire in some of those departments. So that three and a quarter billion dollars, while it is a good, healthy surplus, I expect that a lot of these dollars will be accounted for by budget writers based on the needs of state government.
1: This week, we have both substantiated and unsubstantiated rumors.
0: Former Representative Tom Murray, he made an announcement this week
1: moved from unsubstantiated rumor to substantiated when he announced that he will be running in the Republican primary for Attorney General.
0: Senator Danny Britt made a post this week on Twitter, got some attention. I retweeted it.
1: He said that he met with the differentiators about potential next moves or something. I don't know. You know how he is. He worded it weird.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I texted Senator Britt. And uh, here's what he said. I'm kicking tires, making a decision in June, but I am seriously considering it and setting up a separate campaign about it. He said we had a very good talk talking about Jim Blaine and Ray Martin, uh, and he got some really good swag. Did you see
1: that coat that he got? It's a vest. It's a vest. Yeah. Yeah, we got up our swag game. Well, we don't have Jim Blaine money.
0: (laughs) (laughs) As we are sitting here recording, I am getting a slew of text messages from Senator Britt, kind of waxing here about the idea of him running for Attorney General. Here here we go. If I'm in, I will announce officially around June. There are also some pretty big names that might be getting in the race around the same time There are others who are waiting to see how some things shake out, if they choose to run, or if something else happens. I will not. My wife is 100% in, and I think we need a good candidate. A lot of my choice will be based on the qualifications and electability of others who enter the race. We need an attorney general who has real experience in a courtroom who will stand up and defend the laws passed by the General Assembly. It's also important that Attorney General has significant experience in management of people and or a Business. My time as a prosecutor in Superior Court, four terms in the NC Senate crafting legislation, working to craft the budget for justice and public safety, which includes the Department of Justice, and my time managing a law practice while also serving close to 30 years in the Army National Guard with tours in Iraq and Kuwait make me uniquely qualified to be the next AG. Full stop. No more text messages. A lot there from Senator Britt about the prospect of him running for attorney general. We also have another unsubstantiated rumor, Darren Eustans, who has been a guest on the podcast. He's a political operative. Part of his work is oppositional research. He is a former Wake County GOP chair. Word is that he is calling around and is looking at running for North Carolina Secretary of State. He would challenge current Secretary of State, Elaine Marshall. She's also been a guest on the podcast, but uh, yet yeah, Darren says he is not sure. He's, you know, thinking about it. He's having conversations. He's making phone calls, but we're going to put him right now in the unsubstantiated rumor column. So we heard some staffing news this week out of the General Assembly.
1: Anne Evangelisa, who used to work for Representative Dahl and who has been working in GovOps for the last year or so, she is making the move over to the governor's office where she will be the assistant general counsel. So congratulations, Anne. This week on the pod, we got to sit down with Senator Julie Mayfield to talk about her district, a little fight on the Senate floor, and much more.
2: Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. I'm a dedicated listener every week. Happy to be here.
1: Great. Start us off by telling us about your district. Where's your district? Why is your district special? All
2: right. So my district is uh, Senate District 49. It's Asheville, and I would say, you know, most of Buncombe County. Uh, So what makes my district special is that everybody else wants to come there. Uh, We have, I mean, let's start with the natural resources. We have the French Broad River. We have Pisgah National Forest. We have the Blue Ridge Parkway. Um, You know, just amazing, amazing natural resources that people love to come see. Uh, We can go to history. We have the Biltmore Estate, um, which is just one of the most popular tourist spots in the entire state. We have an incredible downtown in Asheville. Um, We have art, we have music, we have food. Um, Mm. I think we just ended up on, once again, on a, you know, a top national list for food for um, small cities. So we, we have something for everyone. And, and again, y'all do come (laughs) and we love it.
0: Are you from Asheville originally? Where are you
2: from? So here's what I want to say. I want to say I was born on a farm in eastern North Carolina because that seems to be where everybody is born (laughs) who comes on your podcast. I was not born on a farm in eastern North Carolina. I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, and that's where I was raised. Um, I did come to North Carolina for college. Um, I went to Davidson College, so I'm not part of... Any of the sports rivalries mm-hmm. that are out yeah. there.
1: Wearing a Carolina blue blazer, but uh-huh, okay. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. That is an accident.
2: And you guys do
0: have Stephon Curry. So. We do. Right. We do.
2: And then, so came here for college and then moved back or moved to Asheville in 2008 okay. um, for for a job uh, from Atlanta. So been in Atlanta again most of the time. I did two years in New York City, but um, in Atlanta most of that time. I will also say though, my mother grew up in Western North Carolina. She was okay. born in Asheville uh, she, um, was mainly raised in Silva and my family, you know, she comes from one of those families, um, that did have a farm. You know, my mother was sort of raised on a farm and, uh, you know, that land is still in our family and, and I will own the farmhouse and the little bit of land that's still there someday. So, um, half of me is North Carolina West and Western North Carolina.
1: How did you initially decide to get involved in politics?
2: So I am a a lawyer by training and practice, and uh, I did practice law in the traditional sense really just for a pretty short time, but where I knew I always wanted to be was doing policy advocacy. Um, I started doing that when I came out of college and before I went to law school, and it, it took me about seven years after law school to get fully back in the policy advocacy world, but I was I was a lobbyist in Georgia for the environmental organization that I worked for the nonprofit, uh, and you know worked for several years down at the General Assembly there, uh, and started you know doing policy advocacy up here when I moved here a little bit less, much less at the state level just because of the distance. You know love policy the organization that until just January first I was the. First executive director and then co-director of uh, it's called Mountain True Regional Environmental Advocacy Group in Western North Carolina. We are a policy advocacy group. That's mm. what we do. So we do that at um, the local, regional, state, and federal levels on mm. a whole range of environmental issues. So I love policy. I guess back in in you know maybe around 2010, 2011, 2012, I started thinking about kind of moving from the outside of government being an advocate outside of government to being an advocate inside government and uh, 2015 was the year that I decided to make that jump and it was it was a great jump I loved my time on city council I love local government it's just it's just where it all happens um, but was extraordinarily happy to have the opportunity to make the jump up to the Senate as well
0: was it like going from a city council that I would assume is majority would have to be progressive, liberal, maybe democratic registration to serving in the minority in the Senate? Was that tough?
2: <clears throat> um, yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah, you know, council. We, as you say, we were all aligned. You know, yeah. sort of from. The, the political spectrum on city council range, ranges from, you know, moderate left to far left. Yeah. And you my experience there was, you know, if I could get a hold of an issue and run with it, I could make things happen. And, and I did on a whole range of things from energy to transportation to affordable housing, a whole, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, it was a real challenge to come here. I mean, you've seen the back of my phone. I have, Um, that's
0: right. uh, I saw this the other day when I was visiting Senator Mayfield. It says she's in the Get Sh** Done Club.
2: I want to get stuff done. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm on this planet. That's why I'm in the Senate. That's why I do what I do. And so, yeah, it was a real adjustment. And I knew psychologically coming here, it would be an adjustment. I wouldn't be able to do what I did on council. And yet it was still an adjustment Mm -hmm. after that.
0: We were talking to our friend, Zach Wallace. He's up at the Asheville Chamber of Commerce. He said that you were having a lot of conversations with Senator Warren Daniel, who represents now a few precincts in Buncombe County.
2: It's more than a few. He, he represents kind of the eastern third of Buncombe County. Okay. So it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of precincts.
0: So when we were in Asheville recording, he was telling us he's never served in a delegation that had a Democrat in it his wife said that'll be good for him. <laughs> <laughs> and then here you are, someone who came from a pretty homogenous city council. Both of you maybe a political odd couple, but you seem to be trying to work together.
2: Absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, I I focus on the person. I focus I don't focus really on the ideology. Yeah. If you focus on that, you're just you're just stuck and you're never going to go anywhere. So I focus on the person. Um, and, you know, I'm happy to have, I mean, Buncombe County, given the politics of our region, my I, is, is always going to be paired with a Republican. Last session, I was paired with Chuck Edwards. We managed to work together on some things. And I expect no different with Senator Daniel. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do my part, which is, um, I guess it was earlier this month, I brought him up uh, for a day to meet with you know, some of our big institutional players and local governments, those relationships are important. People need to have independent relationships with him, not just through me. And uh, so I think that was a good day. And I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm happy. I mean, the the truth is Asheville and Buncombe County, we don't get anything done without, we're not going to get anything done without his support. Right. So that's just the reality of where we are
0: and there's another level too right Asheville has not always had the best um I don't want to say relationship with the General Assembly but there has been some conflict in the past right and and you need someone to kind of help you on the other side of the aisle
2: yeah we we do and and most importantly I think we need somebody to not beat us up right um you know somebody made reference recently to Asheville behaving badly uh and and I really take exception to that You know, in the time that I've been here, Asheville has been attacked on multiple fronts from a policy and legislative perspective, but very few of those really were in response to things that the city had done. You know, if you think back a decade, when the Republicans took over the legislature, there were opportunities to make lots of changes that a lot of cities didn't want including Asheville. And we just were sort of on the cutting edge of some of those policies that then got shot down by the General Assembly.
1: I want to go back to something you said earlier when you were talking about lobbying in Georgia. What are some differences between the General Assembly there and the General Assembly here? Or maybe some takeaways that have informed you in your job here?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. It's very different. Um, Mm -hmm. Just on the ground day to day there, the best way to connect with legislators is actually once they go into session. Maybe not the best way, but an easy way because you know where they are, right? (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, you do what you guys do all day long, which is you swing by people's offices and you try to catch them Mm -hmm. or catch them coming at a committee meeting, which is also the way lobbyists work there. But in Georgia, there's a the pages that we have. Their job is to line up outside of each chamber, and the lobbyists they have, you know, pre-printed forms, and you write your name and who you, who who the legislator is you want to talk to. You can write a question. You can say, please come see me, uh, please call me, whatever. Hand it to a page. They run in, give it to the legislator. Yeah and then you know a few minutes later the legislator will come out and talk to you or yeah. write an answer to your note or come back you know so like that that was where we always yeah. were guaranteed to have contact with our <laughs> with our legislators that is interesting yeah and, and so when i came here and learned that you know once we go into session like the building clears out yeah. and there's nobody up in the gallery i just mm. thought well that's really weird, but yeah. it's just a totally different system. And you
0: have finite sessions in yes. Georgia.
2: Oh, my gosh. That's just such a um, I did didn't realize what a blessing that was. But <laughs> under the Georgia Constitution, this, the legislative session lasts 40 days. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not, you know— that's not a day a legislative day is they have to actually gavel into session so there are many days where there's lots of stuff happening at the Capitol but they're not technically in session Um, so they can stretch that out but I would say again typically they're finished in April Hmm. May I mean I was there when the governorship first flipped to Republican and then and then the legislature flipped. And so for those few first few sessions, it, they went on a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think even one year into you know, August or September. But that's very unusual, mm-hmm. very unusual. So, and that finiteness is, you know, it just provides some predictability for everybody involved in the process <laughs> that mm-hmm. we just don't have here.
1: And so you worked on environmental policy. Is that sort of your passion? Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, so again I'm an environmental attorney. That's my that's the area that I know the best. And that's a, you know, that's a broad range. It's everything from transportation to land use to water quality, air quality, the the traditional things. And at the time I was working for a statewide environmental advocacy organization called the Georgia Conservancy and we we you know, had a, an active legislative agenda and then like many environmental groups, we partnered, you know, we were part of coalitions um, that also had active legislative agendas. So again, just like here, you know, there were a group of us lobbyists that were down there every day working together, uh, trying to get things done and, you know, working with democratic legislators to draft legislation, working to stop bad legislation. So uh, it was, it was great. For me, there is an electricity uh, just walking into the building. Mm. I don't know if you all experienced mm. you've been doing this for a long time. Maybe it's not there anymore. But but for me, it was just exciting to walk into the building. And it's still that way for me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah,
0: I still feel blessed that I get to do this work in that building as ugly as that building is.
2: <laughs> it is not the picture of beauty. <laughs> that That is true. I will say that's part of it. Because in Georgia, it is, you know, the more traditional Capitol building. And yeah. it's marble stairs and it's that it's it, it is just a beautiful it's a grand and beautiful mm-hmm. space that um, i mean our chambers here are lovely mm-hmm. um
1: what if we had session at the biltmore <laughs> um I, don't,
2: I, don't, I mean that would be fun for <laughs> everyone fun. but uh yeah probably wouldn't work as well
0: did you have intentions to always be an environmental attorney is that what your aspiration was
2: that's such a good question. No, I kind of call myself an accidental environmental attorney. Okay. So when I was in college, and then even before, um, I took about four years off between college and law school, and my emphasis had really been on international um, international studies, international focus. I was um, able to do a fair amount of international travel when I was in college. I worked for, my first job out of college was Amnest, with Amnesty International, mm-hmm. so I was very internationally focused, and I always thought that I would end up, you know, working for, you know, the UN, or an international development organization, or be in the State Department, or something like that, you know, that's where I was headed, and I got to law school and I started taking all the international law classes. And then of course, folks will know that the summer after your second year of law school is when you typically go work for a law firm. And the firm that I went to work for was a great firm. They didn't really have an international practice. And so I was rotating through all these little practice groups and being miserable, frankly, until I landed in the environmental practice group. And it was just like somebody opened a window. It was, it was, I loved the work. I loved the topic. I loved the people. And the, 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 the way in which it is similar to the international work that I like is that it's about the intersection of government and people. <laughs> so environmental law is about the intersection of government and people or business in the, on the topic of the environment. Of course, all the other work that I was interested in was about you know international policy and international aid and international human rights, and that's all about government and people. So that's really the intersection that's compelling to me. Yeah. So that firm offered me a job, uh, which I which was surprising to me, um, but I took it, and then I had to come back to law school my third year and take all the environmental law classes because right. I really didn't know anything about it. But it's been a good. It's been a great career. I, I have loved it.
0: I want to ask you about a video that had surfaced the last day of session 2021. In this video, uh, there was a confrontation outside the Senate chamber between you and Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. It was on Twitter, it was viral.
2: I think we're, we're all aware that our Lieutenant Governor has made uh, what I consider to be a lot of hateful, hurtful, harmful statements about. Uh, a number of groups of people, but particularly the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. That doesn't sit well with me. I just reel anytime there's that kind of hateful focus on any group of people. I actually spent about two months trying to figure out what to do with that anger. What I got to was we as elected officials have a higher obligation to represent everybody in our districts or in his case in the state. We don't get to pick who Mm. we represent. Our obligation is to represent people who didn't vote for us, people who will never vote for us, people we disagree with vehemently, people whose lifestyles we don't like. So we have that obligation to represent those folks and to me that includes an obligation not to slam them Mm -hmm. (laughs) and not to be hateful and hurtful and disrespectful to them. And so that was the statement I made and um, it was not received well
0: so it was a point of personal privilege right you're talking you sit down the session adjourns you go over outside the chamber right there on the second floor was it a matter of he he came up and just kind of leaned into you there with some words
2: yeah so you know it was the last day of session so there was a lot of activity in the chamber after we adjourned people saying goodbye that sort of thing and I heard somebody say, Julie, he's waiting for you. I thought, well, I don't know what that's about. And so then I walked out the, out of the chamber and out of one door and he walked out the other door and my office, to get to my office, I turned, I turned right. Um, and to get to his office, he turns left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we crossed, we crossed and I, I just looked at him and he, yeah, came up to me and kind of you know, put his finger up and started wagging his finger, putting his finger in my face. And the first thing he, he said was, so I had opened my statement referencing an event, um, a dedication of plaques to the three men in Buncombe County who were lynched. So the first thing he said was, I don't like you comparing black people and gay people. Hmm. And I said, well, that's not what I did and then that's the kind of the point at which the video picks up and you hear him saying essentially if you got something to say to me or before you say anything else on the floor you come see me first oh. and you know i just was so stunned i was stunned that another adult was yelling at me i was stunned at his at his visceral re- angry reaction because I-, I frankly had not said his name I had, not, I had not made it personal to him. I think everybody understood what I was reacting to, but I had not called him out by name. And um, so, yeah, it was just, it was shocking.
0: Any conversation with him since that incident?
2: No. We, we have had no communication since then.
0: Would you be able to a conversation about it?
2: Well, I, I, you know, what I say is I'm always happy to talk to anybody. Right. I have not seen any shift in his behavior on that front Uh, so I don't think he's I don't think he's interested in stopping that dialogue that diatribe I would say
0: was there a reaction from your colleagues after that incident because this I mean this video
2: went everywhere well yeah there were there were a couple of reactions so You know, after right after the incident, I walked down to my office and, you know, the buildings basically deserted at this point, except for people milling about on the second floor. There's nobody downstairs. And I'm getting, you know, opening up my office and I'm suddenly aware that there's somebody standing, you know, maybe 10 feet from me. And so I turn around and it it was a it was a Senate staffer on the Republican side who thanked me for my statement and said that it was somebody saying something was way overdue and that even though he and I didn't agree on most things, he appreciated my comments. And so I thought that was really nice. Um, and then I basically got in my car and drove home. So I'm in the car and my phone starts blowing up with people calling me saying, Mm -hmm. you know, this thing has gone viral. Attorney General Josh Stein called me. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are, these are not phone calls I normally get on my Mm -hmm. drive home. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it, it, you know, but I couldn't. I mean, I suppose I could have stopped, but it was already dark. I didn't even leave until seven thirty. I just wanted to get home, uh, mm. so it. Uh, you know, I got home and sort of looked at it all, and
1: that was an unfortunate experience in the Senate. Can you talk about something in the Senate that maybe surprised you, or a positive interaction that you're like, okay, it's not so bad here?
2: Oh yeah, and I. I mean. I love being in this chamber, and I, what I say to my constituents all the time at home is, it is not what you think. We are not antagonistic to each other all the time. It is, this is not like Congress. Right. Um, the, the, we are congenial. We laugh with each other. We laugh at each other in a, in a good way. Um, we, we have dinner together. We have drinks together. I don't think I have one colleague on either side of the aisle that I don't genuinely like and that I don't feel like I can genuinely go have a, an honest conversation with. And that's crucial. I mean, if if I felt that level of antagonism and anger with my Republican colleagues, I probably couldn't do this job. Right. I just would have to I would have to leave. But that's not that's not my experience. I'm not sure that that's the experience of all of my Democratic colleagues, but my experience is I feel like I have a good relationship with those folks. I feel like we can listen to each other, and you know that's what that's what makes this job uh, pleasant and doable for me. And yeah. and honestly, those relationships, as a Democrat, that's the only way I'm going to get anything done. Right. Mm-hmm. So you know that was my goal coming in here two years ago was to build those relationships and figure out how I can how I can get things done. And and I'll just share this story. It was early on. You know, probably the first week of session, and or maybe not quite that early. But uh, one of my bills that I wanted to get through and still want to get through is a is authorization for the city of Asheville to create a civilian crash investigator program. Mm-hmm. So under state law, a uniformed officer has to respond to every vehicle crash. That's an enormous um, drain on their time and takes them away from things that they're uniquely trained to do. So I fa- so I found out that Wilmington ha- already has this program. So I went to Senator Lee and I said, I want for Asheville this program that you have. Um, And he said, oh, that's great. Uh, He said, I'm running a bill this year to expand the program. Um, Why don't you just draft your bill, you know, to do the original program and my expansion? And, you know, maybe he said, just put it in my bill and then, you know, we'll maybe they'll go, you know, it'll all go through. And then he checked himself and he said, no, no, you're a freshman you need your name on your own bill you need to you need to be able to show that you've gotten this done, so you draft your own bill, and I will make sure that these bills go through together and here oh. here is this it right i mean he doesn't he doesn't have to do that he doesn't owe me anything he doesn't even know me right. and and I just thought, wow, what an incredible generosity of spirit mm-hmm. to help me get something done mm-hmm. uh, and and I you know obviously not everything that I want done is is uh, met with that same openness and consideration. But no one has been terrible or rude in saying no. You right. know, Sometimes they're hard no's. I've gotten hard no's from Senator Rabin, but that's okay. I'd rather have a hard no than a, you know, than a, well, maybe. And I put a lot of time into it when it's really a hard no. So, you know, just just be honest.
0: These are stories that don't, uh, they're not on the front page of the Asheville Citizen Times, Republican and Democrats working well together. Yeah good story.
1: Since you're an avid listener, you know this question's coming, so we're interested in your answer. If you had a magic wand and you could fix one thing in our politics today, what would it be?
2: So, so the outcome I would want is that we just move more legislation, that we consider mm. and move more legislation. And the, the way that I would do that, the magic wand piece of it is I would get rid of the Hastert rule. And your listeners will know what that is, um, but I would
0: well let's let's give it in okay. case they don't. The haster rules where the caucus in charge, the Republicans, their caucus has to agree by a majority vote within their caucus to advance legislation. So it makes it difficult oftentimes for Democrats to get their bills moving.
2: That's right. And and we know, I know from talking to some of my Republican colleagues, that sometimes there are a handful or more of them who don't have any objection to the bills that we're trying to move, but because not all of them do, or not a majority of them do, or because maybe it's really just one or two people who continue to object, they don't move. And, you know, no party has a lock on good policy. There are plenty of just non-controversial things that could be moving through that don't because because of politics, because of that rule, and and it's just very frustrating. Mm -hmm. So... That's the first thing I would get rid of. And then that would just get a lot more things moving, I think. Right. And then the second magic wand, I didn't, you didn't give me two, <laughs> but I took two, um, <laughs> is is again, they're in the Senate, I mean, you all know this, the House passes a lot more bills than we do. And so I think there's just an approach of the Senate leadership that there are just certain things we're not going to take up this year. For whatever reason, I'm sure they have good reasons, but that just means that, you know, a bunch of things come over from the house and just stop for for no reason that makes any sense to any of us. So I would, I would get rid of that too. Our job down here is to get get done (laughs) for the people of North Carolina. And there's so much that we could do every year that we don't.
0: Well, Senator Julie Mayfield, we appreciate everything you're doing in North Carolina politics and policy, everything you're doing in the North Carolina Senate. You certainly know how to do politics better.
1: Thank you for being on the podcast today.
2: Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure to be with you both.
1: The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more more information.
0: I have enjoyed getting to know Senator Mayfield. And let's back up to when you and I went to Asheville and we recorded the podcast in front of the live audience at the Chamber of Commerce there. Senator Mayfield approached one of our clients, the North Carolina Travel Industry Association, and we, we know that she has some different ideas about policy, about occupancy tax. It's all kind of policy wonkish stuff. We won't get into that, but have a little disagreement. And the way she approached our executive director, Vince Shalina, who is executive director of NCTIA, she said, I want to sit down. I just want to have a conversation. I want to hear what you have to say. I want you to hear what I have to say. It was just very pleasant, very cordial. It really was a do politics better moment. They might have some disagreements about policy, or at least we think we do right now, just based on media reports. But the way she approached him, it was so good. And Vince even said it like, yeah, she's really nice. Yeah, I'll sit down with her. Let's have a conversation. I'm so glad that we got to have her on the podcast. I do think that she is doing politics better inside the building, especially, we've said it before, being in the Minority Party in the General Assembly is the toughest job, and she's doing it well. Thank you, Senator Mayfield, for being on the podcast this week. Tweet Tweet of of the the Week. week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Port Council representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org.
1: This week's Tweet of the Week is from Sarah Crawford. She's at Sarah Crawford NC, and it says, It must be Allison Day." Totally coincidence, but I'm digging all the pink with, and it's Mary Belk, Carla Cunningham, Pricey Harrison, James Roberson, and Sarah Crawford. And they're all wearing, Representative Harrison's wearing a light pink, but everyone else is wearing hot pink. So this was Wednesday for... I think this is today. This is today. Six hours ago. As we all know, Representative Dahl wears pink every day.
0: Pink hair. Pink Pink hair,
1: but always has some sort of pink something on... Every day, doesn't it seem like?
0: I think she does.
1: Anyway, this is a great photo. You could take a look at it. Representative Roberson, we saw him today in his hot pink suit. That was something. It was. <laughs> My
0: eyes are still burning. <laughs> kind of reminds me of those old Larry Womble suits, man. They were something. Representative from Forsyth County. He just died recently, but he wore some loud suits. But yeah, I think Roberson's suit, you could have plugged that in. It's something. 100th episode can you believe it
1: i guess i can but also it it doesn't feel like we've been doing this for as long as we have it kind of feels like we're just now starting to like get into a good groove with it (laughs) (laughs) that was a video from december 2020 we
0: were a couple months out from launching the podcast, but we yeah. were finding music that we thought yeah. would be a theme and how we would open up the show. We don't open up the show like that, but we do use that music.
1: It's true. You bought that that night.
0: I bought it that night. It looks
1: like it was right before Christmas, Yeah, and we were just having a drink talking. <laughs>
0: Which is also essentially how we decided to just go ahead and make episode one.
1: Yeah, we had a drink and we just sat down.
0: We're like, put the mic out. We had one microphone and it was playing right into the computer. I think we were playing it on GarageBand on my Mac. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was episode one. Don't go back and listen to episode one. It's really bad. But, you know, here we are, episode 100, and, you know, I think we're figuring it out. It's fun. Let's do 100 more. At least. Yeah. This week we had a student from UNC shadowing us. Now, we met Jake Patterson through the podcast. He listens every single week. He's a policy major over at UNC. He's from Henderson County. He asked if he could shadow us, and Tuesday he did. That was a lot of fun, Skye.
1: It was a lot of fun. Once we started going into meetings, I kind of briefed him at the beginning of the day. I said, like, this is what the calendar looks like for the day. And it was pretty packed on Tuesday. But, you know, we had a meeting canceled. So we did have a little bit of downtime with him. But by midday, he's now doing the spiels. And he pitched his own idea to (laughs) Representative Bell.
0: (laughs) So Jake has been working on a policy paper around bus drivers and bus driver pay, and the shortage of bus drivers. So we're sitting in the conference room of Leader Bell's, and Leader Bell comes in, shakes everyone's hands, this is Jake, and he's like, all right, what's on your mind? Jake says, bus driver pay. (laughs) Totally takes over our meeting.
1: It was amazing.
0: It was. And then Leader Bell just sits there. They're going back and forth about bus driver issues. It was so much fun. Then the day after, Leader Bell approaches us outside the House chamber.
1: And he said he'd already gotten a follow-up email from Jake, (laughs) had information that he'd requested in it, and thanked him for the meeting.
0: Remember the name in C poll, Jake Patterson. Henderson County, you are going to see him in North Carolina politics, I don't know, in the next decade or so.
1: But for now, you do see him running stat sheets at UNC (laughs) basketball games, so you can watch for him there, too.
0: Kickball was kind of a bust this week.
1: Yeah, that's true. You wanted to cancel it when there was only like 45 minutes to go.
0: The House went late because of the Medicaid expansion debate, the rules debate. Wednesday was just a packed day in the House. We had a pair of senators come out, and it was us, and we had Stephen Webb with the Home Builders Association. Bo Heath from McGuire Woods, he also joined us in a suit and tie. Yeah. And we played probably the most intensive 60 minutes of cardio kickball. We did not
1: play for 60 minutes. It
0: felt like it, of cardio kickball, in which we were playing three-on-three with a lot of Ghost Man and uh, Senator Mary Wills Bodie, Senator Danny Earl Britt. They are playing, and that was a lot of fun.
1: Thanks for joining us for the last 100 episodes or however many you've been listening to. We really appreciate everyone in nc poll world what you do for the state or if you're a citizen just listening to the podcast and sharing we would love feedback if it's good and we will talk to you next week we are sure to have more news but until then please remember to do politics better (laughs) you had another pair of suspenders delivered to your house (laughs) yeah because i
0: need the kind that go with the buttons now
1: This is what your wife said. Don't you think he needs to build his glutes?
0: (laughs) uh, (laughs) I'm a 51 year old man. I am not working on my glutes. Tell my wife that.
1: (laughs) You tell your wife. I can't be the messenger for everything. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I've just given up. I'm wearing suspenders.